0: My name is Devin, I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor here at Bethany, and in case you're wondering, I'm not Paul. He didn't grow a beard that quickly in a week. <clears throat> this took me a couple months. But yeah, today I get to share God's Word with you, and uh, I'm super excited to get into it, but I'm also a little nervous. Now, it's not because I can finally see the lower half of your faces, but because the topic that we're talking about is actually a, a fairly challenging one, and It's weird because I picked it myself, so I should have just picked an easier one. But we're going to be talking about trials, in case you couldn't tell by the title. Um, Before we dig into our scripture, though, I wanted to share a couple of stories of people that have gone through trials, one being myself, but first we're going to talk about what this article calls the greatest American president, so you can start guessing who that might be as I read on. So it says, when he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of their home and he went to work. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk when he was 20. He wanted to go to law school, but he didn't have the education. At age 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small business. Three years later, that business partner died and it took him years to pay off the debt. When he was 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him, and she turned him down. On his third try, he was elected to Congress at age 37, but then failed to be reelected. His son died at age four. When this man was 45, he ran for Senate, and he lost. At age 47, he ran for vice presidency, and lost. But at age 51, he was elected President of the United States. So in case you haven't guessed it, if for our history buffs out there, the man's name was Abraham Lincoln a man who learned to face discouragement and move beyond it. Did you know that it was Abraham Lincoln who in the midst of the Civil War in in 1863 established the annual celebration of Thanksgiving? Lincoln had learned how important it is to stop and thank God in the midst of great difficulties. And that man faced a lot of difficult things in his life, and he seemed to have a very strong perspective when it came to facing trials. And before we look at our passage, I also want to share a trial that I went through a few years ago. Um, A few years ago, I was a much bigger guy than I am now, and I had been big for most of my life and still remain a little big. i got to cut a a couple cheeseburgers, but that's okay. We're working on it. Um, But yeah, so I was so much bigger, and I'd gotten used to life, and I had thought that I was a fairly healthy person outside of my size, but a few years ago, I started at a new church, And every now and then I would, you know, stand up after sitting at my desk and I'd get this weird feeling in my legs, and then my legs would start to give out. And then the feeling would go away, you know, and all of you are thinking, Devin, why didn't you go to the doctor then? Because I was stubborn, okay? I was like, no, I get my strength back, it's fine, plus doctors scare me. So I wanted to avoid them as much as I could. And, you know, every now and then I'd be going down a flight of stairs and my knee would give out, but I always had my hand on the railing, so I caught myself. Luckily, I never fell. It got to eventually one point I was grocery shopping. I bent over to tie my shoe and almost face-planted in the grocery store because my legs had an episode and I gave, they gave out and I was falling forward. Then one night at youth, I had my most embarrassing moment. So I was three weeks in, just finally learning the names of the students, just starting to you know, get to know the parents, making connections. We had a great youth night sitting, standing around talking with the students, talking with some of the parents as they're coming to get picked up and I felt that feeling in my legs again. I I looked around, I'm like, there's nothing for me to put my hand on to sturdy myself. There's nowhere for me to sit, maybe it'll just pass. Nope. I crumble like an accordion right into the ground, spraining my ankle in the process and I'm sitting there on the ground processing, I was standing a second ago, now I'm down here and I'm like, I need to stand up because I feel embarrassed. So I push myself up, my ankle is throbbing in pain, and I'm just like, ah, it's fine. Pretending like nothing happened, I just said I tripped while standing because I'm coordinated enough to do that. So I go home that night, and of course it's my right ankle, so I can't just like, go to the doctor on my own, so I call my dad and I say, hey, I hurt myself. And he's like, well, what'd you do? And I'm like, I, I fell standing. And he's like, okay. <laughs> And I was like, but I don't want to go to the doctor. I just wanted to let you know I hurt myself. And he's like, well, you need to go. And I was like, well, maybe in the morning if I can, if it hurts worse in the morning. So the next morning I go to get up. I almost fall out of bed trying to stand on it. So off I go to the doctor. They do some x-rays. It was just a sprain. Um, They take a bunch of blood work because I tell them about my legs weakening. And they tell me that I have type 2 diabetes. Now, I didn't have a family doctor, so they sent me to a specialist. And I sat down with probably the nicest and meanest lady in the entire world. And the reason why I say she's nice and mean is she was very mean because she told me everything I had feared in going to a doctor. I was overweight, I needed to get my health in order, and I had to make some dietary changes. But she was the nicest person in the world because my blood sugar score was so high, I should have started insulin right away. And once you start taking it, it's very quick that your body becomes dependent on it. And I was in my mid-twenties, so I was worried that I was gonna have to take it for the rest of my life. So she said, I'll give you a month, completely change everything. I said, okay. So she gives me pamphlets and information and I'm reading up on all this stuff and sitting at home, I took the day off of work because I still really couldn't walk. After reading through the pamphlets, I was like, I'll do some youth ministry stuff to lighten up my mood. So I opened up my laptop and I start typing away, working on the next lesson and my phone starts to ring. I had just started at this church three weeks before so I didn't recognize the number but I thought to myself, hmm, maybe it's something to do with an address change, maybe someone's called me and they're going to give me a million dollars. I mean, you never know when your phone rings. You can always hope. So I answer the phone and sure enough, it's a scam caller. Now, I was way more naive back then than I am now. I still fall for the odd gullible joke, if you ask me to look at the ceiling, I just might. But, back then, my mind was wrapped around all of this news that I'd had just hours before from the doctor asking me to change everything, and they just said everything just right. Because these scam callers are good at what they do, that's why that's their profession. And this was right before I had heard that they were doing the CRA scams and all that kind of stuff, so I believed I had owed a large amount of money because I messed up my taxes when I was in college, which totally would have been possible. So I was still trying to figure out how to figure out my life at that point. So long story short, I gave them way too much money and then realized my mistake. After a few phone calls and conversations, I was then told that the debt that I had taken to give them all of that money, there's no way it can be recovered, there's no way it can come back. So in the span of 24 hours, I went from feeling perfectly healthy to, I have to change everything about my life and I have all of this debt and I don't know what I'm gonna do. And in that moment, but first to put your minds at ease, I got through all of it. I, I don't, I don't want you to be like, well, what, what happens next? No, I, I got through it. My, I'm completely medication free for my diabetes. My sugars are fine. I was able to pay off the debt within a year because I buckled down really hard. But in that moment, I had two options. Option one is I could allow that fear to overcome me and just give into it and be a sad boy for a long time. Or I could face it, do my best, pray a lot to God, and see what he does. See, because the issue with trials is it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And they always come at like the perfectly wrong time. But the passage we're gonna be looking at today is going to teach us how to deal with them, how to face them, and how to work through them. So James chapter one, verses one through 12 says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance And that endurance have its perfect result. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now the brother or sister of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, but the rich person is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flowers fall, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will die out. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So this is an interesting letter that was shared to the church in its time and now is one of the books of the Bible that we learn from because there was only two potential Jameses that could have wrote this. One was one of Jesus' disciples, but through our knowledge of history, we know he died before the issues that were spoken to in this letter could have been spoken to. So, that means that it was actually Jesus' brother, James. Now, I, I don't know what it'd be like to grow up with a sibling that was literally perfect, but I can't imagine it would have been easy. So, that's like, for me, an extra reinsurance that Jesus Christ was our Lord and Savior, because I don't know too many siblings that would dedicate their life to sharing that their brother was a Savior and a Messiah of all. But when James shares this passage, when he shares this letter to the churches, it leaves us with three callings out of these first 12 verses, and I wanna share them with you this morning. So the first one is, James issues a call to change our perspective. See, this point stems right out of verse two. It's the one that if you've memorized scripture, you probably have memorized this verse or at least heard it taught once or twice in your, in your time. But verse two says, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. So first I wanna emphasize the word various. When you think of various trials, it means that there's many and they're different and they all look different and they all have different kinds of things. To give you a, a little bit of examples, because there might be some of you that have never experienced a trial yet in your life, and you're looking at me going, Devin, this is the most irrelevant sermon I've sat through. But it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So let's say you're in high school and you're studying real hard and it's down to like the final exam in order whether or not you're gonna pass the class. Spend hours studying, you take the test, you fail. You fail the class, you have to repeat. That's a trial. Let's say, you're a bit older, you're looking at colleges and or universities, and you've figured out what you want to do with your life. You spend hours poring over your applications, submitting them, sending them out, and as each letter comes back, sorry, sorry, sorry. Now you're sitting there wondering, what is next? Where do I go from here? I thought I had my life figured out. That is a season of trial. Maybe you're a bit older and you have the perfect job. It's Friday. It's 4.50 p.m. You're just about to clock out for the weekend. Your boss knocks on the door. Hey, we had to make some cuts. Don't bother coming back on Monday. That's a trial. Maybe you went to see a doctor and you get a phone call. And then the doctor says, we have bad news. That's a trial. These trials come in all different stages, all different aspects of our lives. That's why when James says, when you face various trials, and he has two responses that we are to give to them. The first one that helps shift our perspective is pure joy. We need to respond with pure joy. That sounds easier said than done. I don't know about you, but I have never met a single person that has gone through a challenge or a difficult season in their life, and they've gone, "Woohoo! I love a good trial in my life. Like No one does that. And if you do, I want to meet you because I want to know how you find that happiness each and every single day. It's a challenge to, to respond in a season where things start to go wrong with excitement, with joy, with that like, energy to push through and move on. When I went through that trial, and I'm going to be completely honest here, when I went through that trial that I shared with you that season, the first 24 hours, I think I did very little but cry. I was just so sad thoughts that flooded my brain were things like, I don't know how I'm going to financially recover from this. I don't know how I'm going to get weight down in a month and my sugar under control in a month so I don't have to take insulin. There was all these thoughts swirling around in the initial little bit and I had people come and speak wisdom into my life and help kind of carry me through the first little bit until I started going. But it's hard to respond with pure joy when you face something that is so Intense, something that feels like it's going to change your life forever, something that feels like it could be traumatic. Now, why does he say pure, count it pure joy? Why does he say that? Because he's getting excited about this word called endurance. He's getting excited about persevering, he's getting excited about resilience. He's saying count it joy when you face these trials because it's going to get a, be a chance for you to grow your endurance. You're going to get to become a more resilient person. You're going to get to mature a little bit more. See, because every trial that you face that you're able to face head on and push through, it changes who you are. It helps you mature as a person. So when James says, consider it pure joy encountering various trials, he's actually speaking to what you get once you go through that trial. And this is all found in. Verse four, because it says, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's about your character being formed and maturing. And it's about developing and maturing your relationship in God. That is why he calls us to change our perspective. Second, James issues a call to be prepared. This is what the next chunk of of that section is getting like verse 5 to verse 7. He's talking about this idea of wisdom, but before I speak to that, I just wanted to point out the obvious here. This isn't an easy thing at all. To come to a trial and, and be excited about it, to come to a trial and even choose to endure through it, it's not easy. It's hard. It's something that we all struggle with. And James isn't saying this being like, oh, and just come and face the trials and Just be endure through it and be happy about it because these are easy peasy things. Like The trials that the church faced early on was difficult. They were facing a whole different culture that they had to go against. And for some of them it meant that they had to put their life on the line for it. So when he's saying this, this is a big deal but it's also very difficult. But the reason why he can have this perspective is because he is someone that seeks out this wisdom that God can give us. And the reason why I said that he's calling us to be prepared instead of calling us to have wisdom is because every trial I have faced in my life, every trial that has come before me, has always blindsided me. I have never in my entire life had my phone vibrate and it's a text from a random number and it just says, hey, just two weeks time, gonna have a big trial, no big deal, here's some passages, memorize them, they're gonna help you. And uh, just, you know, share the love of Jesus a little extra for the next two weeks. You'll be good for this. And if you're getting texts like that and it's from a 403 number, someone is messing with you. We don't get the warnings, the trials just come out of nowhere. So James urges us to be prepared, to be living our life in a way where we're digging in and soaking in God's wisdom each and every single day. So that way, when we do get blindsided by the trials, we'll have something to to fall back on. We'll have something in the back of our heads that comes forward. Whenever you go through a season, if you've memorized scripture, that's usually the first thing you're gonna remember when things get difficult, is that passage that you memorized. Even if you memorized it as a kid in Sunday school, it still just like floods back to your brain. You're like, oh yeah, okay, so God's here with me. Soaking yourself in God's wisdom, allowing him to help you grow and to move forward in your life and deepening and enriching your relationship with him will set you up all the more for trials. But there is a catch. Now James talks about, in verse six and seven, about faith and how faith plays a pivotal role in it. And he talks about a man that kinda comes in it half-minded, so he he half-believes the truths that he's reading, he half-believes the wisdom and says that he is like The waves He's just getting blown left and right with the wind. That's not how we're supposed to respond when we seek out this wisdom. When we read truth about God, we need to believe wholeheartedly that his truth is what it says it is. It is true. That That wisdom that is shared about how he's gonna work in our lives is true, and it's going to become a part of your life. It's gonna become something that you live out each and every single day. So we need to be prepared. We need to be seeking out his wisdom and that is why James calls us to do that. And third, James issues a call to look for the blessing. This is found in the very last verse that I read, verse 12, it says, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So there's a lot going on here. But James proclaims that this person is blessed. Anyone that perseveres through a trial, you are actually blessed because of it. So when I say look for the blessing, it's, a, it's about looking for that end result. It's about looking for what happens, how you change, how you grow, how you mature when you come out of the trial, when you get through it. Now, in this verse, he talks about this crown of life. And crowns were used as symbols back then, and to some degree they're still used as symbols today. But as I was doing my research on this, it gave some examples of what people would have received a crown for. So it said that if you were to win a battle or an athletic event, you would actually re- receive a crown that was either bay or olive. And you'd wear that, and it would be a symbol to show that you had you know, done great in a battle, or finished in an athletic event and got first place. They gave you um, like garlands with flowers if you were in a wedding. And it would show that you were the bride or the groom or that you were a part of the wedding party and it would symbolize to everyone that you were getting married. And then the, the obvious one is royalty. They wore crowns to show their power over the region. If you saw someone with a nice fancy crown on their head, you're like, I'm gonna be extra nice to that person because they could get me in a whole lot of trouble. So what he's saying is, is if you are someone that endures the trials and you push through them, then you're going to be seen by others as someone that has faith in God, someone that loves God, and someone that trusts God wholeheartedly. And that will be the crown that we get to wear when we persevere through these trials. So what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? I have three apps for us that I want you to consider as we move through this lesson, or move through this scripture. Two are posed as a question, and then the last one is a challenge for us. So the first question is how is your trial perspective going? So when you work through this, what I mean, because this question is now confusing me now that I'm standing up here, but what I mean by this is when, think of the last trial that you went through, the last situation that you struggled with, and process, okay, how did I respond? How did I work through it? And is it the perspective that James has asked us and called us to do? Or was it something short of? And if it is, okay, think about, okay, how can I do this different next time? And the reason why this is so important, I have a couple of articles I want to share that talk about the idea of going through trials and trauma and the power of what you think. So someone named Maria Konnikova wrote this article on on the New Yorker on resilience. She says, resilience is hard to study because if you are lucky enough to never experience any sort of adversity, we won't know how resilient you are. It's only when you're faced with obstacles, stress, and other environmental threats that resilience or lack of it emerges. These threats can be anywhere from environmental to psychological threats. George Bonanno, a clinical psychologist at Columbia University's Teacher College, says that one of the central elements of resilience is perception. Do you conceptualize an event as traumatic or as an opportunity to learn and grow? Bonanno has coined the term potentially traumatic event because he believes every frightening event has the potential to be traumatic or not to the person experiencing it. Kanakova explains that living through adversity, be it endemic to your environment or an acute negative event, doesn't guarantee that you'll suffer going forward. What matters is whether the adversity becomes traumatizing. As she says, frame adversity as a challenge and you become more flexible and able to deal with it, move on, learn from it, and grow. Seems very similar to what James was writing about how we need to persevere through these trials. And the second article says, it's hard to find meaning in the midst of tragedy. But in her book, The How of Happiness, researcher Sanja Lubomirsky shows that people who find some kind of benefit from trauma and tragedy live longer and find more happiness than those who don't see any benefit in their trials. She gives the following example. In one study, researchers interviewed men who had had heart attacks between the ages of 30 and 60. Those who perceived benefit in the event seven weeks after it happened, for example, believing that they had grown and matured as a result or revalued their home life or resolved to create a less hectic schedule for themselves were less likely to have reoccurrences and more likely to be healthy eight years later. But in contrast, those who blamed their heart attacks on other people or on their own emotions, Example, having been too stressed, now are in poorer health. This is why it's so important that we take what James wrote and put it into our lives. Because a perspective change can change everything when it comes to the trials that we face. It will actually help you come through it and be stronger because of it. The healthy response is to face that trial head on, having full faith in God, that he is going to work with you through it. Second app, how prepared are you? I wanted to ask this question because as we believe in God and we trust in him and we move and allow him to work in our lives, we need to be constantly pursuing Christ-like behavior. In order to do that, he's basically saying be like Jesus and Jesus was perfect on this earth, so you're thinking, well, that's almost impossible or is impossible for us to achieve over our lifespan. But we are to continue to keep trying to go towards it. And James urges us to be people that are ready and well-versed in God's wisdom. So we need to be asking ourselves, how prepared are we if a, if a trial was to come right after church? How prepared are you if a trial was to come tomorrow morning? would you be ready to face it head on or would you be afraid would you would you be lacking in some of the wisdom that god has for us if if you're like me then you'll be like well i'm i'm still lacking a bit then ask yourself what do i need to do to get god's wisdom more in my life you know maybe you need to read your bible more maybe you need to listen to podcasts or implement something to like, deepen and enrich your knowledge in scripture, because Sunday morning just never is enough to learn and grow. And then after you know the things that you need to do to deepen and be more prepared for these trials, start doing it one thing at a time. So if you're like, I need to read my Bible more, but you, know, you sit down and you try and read and it's hard to focus and your phone's vibrating, then get the Uversion app on your phone do a Bible plan through there, or just turn notifications on, they'll send you a verse every day. When you, get that, when you get that buzz, read the verse, think on it, pray on it, reflect on it. And just keep doing it one step at a time so you can deepen your relationship with God. And our third app, which is the challenge for us today, is support others through trials. Now this isn't directly in the text, but it is there indirectly. Because as you grow and deepen your relationship with God, you're going to realize that the relationship that you have with others does infect the relationship you're, you have with God. So going through a trial is a very challenging thing, and it's not fun, but it's even more challenging and harder to go through when you do it alone. When I think back to that trial that I went through, if it wasn't for you know, the friends that helped me gather my thoughts as I was filling out the police report for the scam, if it wasn't for the people that texted me and encouraged me when I wanted to get pizza instead of eating a salad, <clears throat> all those people came alongside me and they helped me through that season. They helped me achieve my goals and they helped me overcome that trial. It was the friends that helped me sit down and figure out a budget so I could pay back the debt. As believers in Christ, we need to be the people that call someone the second we know they're going through a trial. Sending them a text, showing up with a meal, asking them if they need help, asking if you can watch their kids. Whatever it is that they need, we should be showing that love to others first and foremost in everything that we do. So we need to be supporting others through the trials. And I've seen as you support others, when you go through a season, they come alongside you and support you as well. And it's this beautiful imagery of God's love. So let's have that perspective. Let's shift it. When the trial comes, let's get excited. Let's endure. Let's push through it. Let's soak in God's wisdom and allow it to work in us, transform us, shape us, and mold us. And let's be there for others as they are in a time of trial. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so deeply and you care for us so much. God, we pray today that you would help us in times of trial, that you may bring wisdom to our lives, that you may work in us, that you may change us, that you may shape us, you may mold us, you may help us become more Christ-like. God, we need you each and every single day, and I pray that as we trust in you, we look to you, our faith would deepen. And when trials come, we would be ready for them. Pray this in your great and heavenly name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. We hope you found it connected you to the God of truth and love who we worship and serve at Bethany Chapel. If you have any questions or want to connect to any of our pastors, please go to our Bethany Chapel app and choose Connect or go online to bethanychapel.com and click come. Thanks again, and God bless you.